in your insert. And this is a very interesting one. This is all about judging. Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is the sermon text. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you, use, you, use, uh, you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The word of the Lord. Well, many of us are familiar with the court system of the United States. Some of you have participated much to your chagrin in it. But, you know, it's a very interesting thing, these courts. And, you know, we have this court of appeals and everything. And so I canvassed the Internet looking for some of the court cases that were the best court cases of 2011. And these are some of them that I found. Here's one where a convict sues a couple he kidnapped for not helping him evade the police. How about this young adults sue mother for sending cards without gifts and playing favorites? Wouldn't that be great to sue your mom because she didn't send you a gift? Some of you have thought about it, I know. Roy Pearson sued his dry cleaner who lost his pants for $67 million. That's a very expensive pair of pants. And my favorite, General Mayo versus Satan and his staff. Plaintiff filed suit against Satan and his staff for violation of his civil rights. Among the allegations were that Satan had on numerous occasions caused him misery and unwarranted threats all against his will, that Satan had placed deliberate obstacles in his path that caused plaintiff's downfall, and that by reason of the foregoing acts, Satan had deprived him of his constitutional rights. This was the response of the court. The court noted that even if plaintiff's complaint reveals an infringement of the civil rights of a citizen, the court has serious doubts that the complaint reveals a cause of action upon which relief can be granted by the court. Further, we question whether the plaintiff may obtain personal jurisdiction over the defendant in this judicial district. The plaintiff has failed to include with this complaint the required form of instructions for the United States Marshal for the directions asked to serve the process. And so the case was dismissed as frivolous. Well, they're not only ridiculous court cases, there are also some ridiculous laws out there. For instance, in Texas, it's illegal to put graffiti on someone else's cow. In Colorado, it's illegal to run over a trout with a car. Now, how a car would run over a trout, I can't figure that out. Additionally, a monkey was once tried and convicted for smoking a cigarette in South Bend, Indiana. Truth be told, there's a lot of wacky stuff out there in the courts. Well, as you know, our court system is tiered, that we go from court, and it continues to go up a court of appeals where you can even try to reverse a decision until you get all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. And as you know, the head of the Supreme Court is, is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. It's very interesting. He is the only one that is called the Chief Justice of the United States. All the other ones are called Associate Justices of the Supreme Court. 
And as Chief Justice, he is head over the entire legal system. He has great control. He has the, the power. He controls the oral arguments that are before him. Uh, he decides who to write the opinion uh, on the case for the court majority. And he also controls what's called the certiorari process, in which the court decides what cases they'll take. Truth be told, less than 1% of cases make it into the Supreme Court that ask to go into the Supreme Court. Well, judging is part of life, isn't it? We ourselves render decisions. Sometimes we're the plaintiffs, sometimes we're the defendants, and we do it better or worse. But here in this passage, we see something very interesting that Jesus says. For he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so we have to ask the question, what is Jesus talking about? Do not judge, lest you be judged. Is he talking that we're not supposed to be involved with people? We're not supposed to render any judgments? We're supposed to keep our hands off? <coughs> now, Jesus isn't saying that. What he's saying, there's more to simply judging the way people judge in a legal system. He's saying that you have to judge. You should not judge wrongly. You must judge in a right way for the right reason, from the right motivation. And it's only then when we submit ourselves first to the supreme judge that we can judge our brother justly. And so we're going to look at what that means. We have to ask ourselves a couple of questions as we unpack this passage. Number one, why should we judge? Right here it says not to judge, so what's the real reason? Why should we judge? And then number two, how do we judge correctly? We are supposed to judge what is the manner in which we do it. And number three, we must understand the true chief justice if we are to understand how to render justice. Because only when we submit ourselves to the supreme judge first, we can judge our neighbor justly. Well, let's take a look at some of these passages. Jesus says, judge not, that you may not be judged. But there's a difference between what the Bible says and what the Bible means. We have to understand the context in which this conversation is having. Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking with believers. And we've actually just entered into chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about, in light, that all, in light of all that I've said, how do we apply these principles in our relationships with one another? Because the truth of the matter is, whenever you get sinners in a room, you're bound to have friction. So how do we judge correctly? You see, the scripture is wrong in terms of if you think it is, uh, not to judge. We have this attitude, particularly in the United States, don't we? You can't judge me. You know, who are you to judge me? It clearly says here in the Bible, don't judge. In fact, if you do judge, the standard you use shall be measured against you. See, it's built into even our biblical understanding as Christians. You know, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And there's that implicit message, hey, you stay away from me, and I'll stay away from you, and everything will be fine. In fact, it says, with the standard you use, it shall be measured to you. But here's why this interpretation is wrong. The first is, it calls us to not judge means to suspend our critical faculties. In other words, God has given us the ability to think and to judge and to see right and wrong, good and evil. And if we were to suspend our blind eye to things that were wrong and good, things uh, that were right and wrong, good and evil, to turn a blind eye to those would be 
a form of hypocrisy, wouldn't it? Because God calls us to have integrity in our lives. And to not have integrity in our relationships with other people, to turn that blind eye, is to have hypocrisy. And so we must judge people in the proper way. You see here, it actually says that you should uh, be able to take the, uh, the uh, piece of the moat out of your brother's eye. In fact, it says it three times to watch over your brother. See, it's not saying don't judge. It's saying how you judge and interact with the people around you. See, we have to ask the question, much like Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Remember him? The answer is, in the kingdom community, we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. See, we want to be in the middle of the road, don't we? We don't want to have to confront anyone. We don't want to have to challenge anyone. But God doesn't call us to do that. See, we want to have peace at any price. Remember uh, Britain with Germany, that process of appeasement? Yeah, they're, they're doing something wrong, but we just want to have peace at any price. And so that's the way we live. But Jesus calls us to judge, not in the place of condemnation, but in the context of love. See, what's going on here is this brother has a foreign object in his eye. It's not meant to be there. It's meant to come out. And when a foreign object is in your eye, it hurts. And it's hard to get out. See, sometimes my kids, they come to me and they have got a splinter in their hand. And they say, get it out. It hurts. And they need someone to help them to get it out. Truth be told, often we can't see the splinters that we have in our body. But they're hurting us. And there's a responsibility of one's brother to help get it out so they can be healing and whole. What he's saying here is don't judge in a condemnatory way. Don't be hypercritical in your judgment. See, where does this hypercritical condemning judgment come from? We've all done it before, haven't we? We've even had it done to us. Where it comes from is from the fallenness of man. Remember when man fell in sin and right away there became, became tension in relationships between people. Because what did man and woman try to do? They tried to play God. See, man and woman, as we do, said we want to play the role of the chief justice. We want to be the one that stands over other people. Because we can examine them and then we don't have to examine our own sins. See, when we want to be the chief justice, we can be ruthless in examining other people's. But oh so lenient with ourselves. But Jesus is saying that we are not to judge by condemning, but rather to loving. See, with someone that said exalting ourselves... By disparaging others is a very cheap way of attaining moral superiority. See, we want to walk up the backs of others to take our place in the podium as Chief Justice. But Jesus is saying we can't do that. You know, wasn't that the role of the Pharisees? Thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector because I stand up here and he's down there. And when we ascend, we become blind to our faults. When we want to take the speck out, we don't realize that we have a nice big steel girder in our own eye. But we must understand that we are not able to judge like God because we have not been selected by God. See, the Chief Justice is the one who's selected by the President of the United States. He's not elected. He is the one judge worthy to do the job. And we're not worthy to pass this kind of God-like judgment on our neighbor. 
As Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, we can't judge someone else in the role of God because they don't belong to us. They're not our servant, and we're not their master. They only have one master, God. And so we ask the question, if we are supposed to judge, how should we judge? We judge as a brother. There's the famous preacher, ancient preacher Chrysostom, that said that we must correct him, not as a foe, nor as an adversely exacting penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. Yes, even more as a loving brother, anxious to rescue and restore. See, we judge one another as a brother and a sister. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. <clears throat> Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We must judge by carrying one another's burdens. I don't know if the uh, name Salvatore Gunta means anything to you. He was the first person to receive the Medal of Honor, non-posthumous person, living person, to receive the Medal of Honor since Vietnam. Uh, Gunta, with his, uh, with his group, they were a small rifle team, were in Afghanistan. And they were going into a very dangerous place, and they were ambushed. A coordinated attack from three different sides. Gunta took a bullet to the chest, but was saved by the heavy plates of his body armor. Shaking off the punch from the round, he jumped up and pulled two wounded soldiers to safety, grabbed hand grenades, and ran up the trail to where his squadmates had been patrolling. There he saw two fighters hauling one of his American comrades into the forest. Specialist Gunta hurled his grenades and emptied the clip in his automatic rifle, forcing the enemy to drop the wounded soldier. Still taking fire, he provided cover and comfort to his mortally wounded teammate until help arrived. See, we have a responsibility to judge, but we have a responsibility to do it right. See, Gunta understood that his brothers were in danger, and he was willing to endanger himself to get in the fray, not to condemn, but to save. And so we judge not as God, but rather as comrades. Let me ask you the question, how do you see it? Am I really my brother's keeper? What happens when you see a friend taking enemy fire? Who's gone the wrong way, who's heading in the wrong way in a relationship? Maybe who's gone over the edge, has committed adultery, has been unfaithful, and he's taking bullets everywhere. Do we look the other way? Or do we engage into the fire, get to where they are, Take guard over them, protect them, watch over them, and look to restore them to safety. See, that's the picture of the church, isn't it? It's a picture of a group of people that says, we're going to band together. I'm with you, and you with me. And you're going to watch my back, and I'm going to watch your back. And when I'm hurting, you're going to come alongside me, even when I don't want you to. That's what it means to be a member of a church. Certainly, it's what we want it to mean to be a member of this church. We're going to be having our membership coming up in early November. And I encourage you to think. You know, I always say this. The question is not whether you should join a church. The question is which one. But Jesus is calling us not to live in the middle of the road, but to wade in. So how do you judge? Are you a confronter? Do you come on in with a sword waving? Maybe you're a gossip. 
You go somewhere else. You don't judge to them. You simply judge about them. Maybe you're a doctrinal critic. I love these folks in the PCA. We're so quick to analyze another person's position and tear them down and judge them before we love them. See, we have to judge in the right way. And when we submit ourselves to the supreme judge, only then can we judge our brother the right way. Go ahead and turn me down just a little bit back there, right? Thank you. Well, if we understand now why we judge, I want to talk about how we judge. We need to understand that this is dangerous business. Just like it was for Gunta, it's dangerous business going in and judging someone. Firstly, we need to understand the dangers. Notice what it says here. For the, by the standard you use, it will be measured to you. Now, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about if you judge your brother wrong, guess what? God's going to throw you out. No, he's talking about something in a different way. He's talking about our lives in Christ. Some of you may not realize this, but there are two judgments in heaven. The first is a judgment for salvation based on the merits of Jesus Christ. That's a pass-fail. And frankly, we'd all fail, save for the mercy of Christ. But there's a second judgment, which means our life in Christ, what have you built your life upon? This is 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold and silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. See, we are uh, need to make every moment count because we're accountable for every moment. And this is a very dangerous thing because it's saying by the standard you use, when you judge a person, either in your mind or face-to-face -face is the standard that God uses for you in that particular situation. It's like there's a black box running that is recording everything that we do and say and think. And that can be overwhelming to us. But praise God, He looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. But we have to understand the dangers. Number two, we have to prepare the instrument. I don't know if you've ever gone into surgery, you know, but when you're going to take something out of someone, you've got to really prep the room. So one of the things you have to do is you have to prepare the tools, the scalpels and the knives and all these different things. And the way they do that is through sterilizing them. They put them in super hot conditions to burn off all of the germs. So then after that, the, the, the instrument is ready. And so we can take that idea and put it in our own life. Because before we have to unnecessarily give out pain, we have to experience pain first. See, one of the things I love about my job and hate about my job is before I dispense the medicine, i got to take it first. In the same way, before we give the medicine, we have to be able to drink it ourselves. And what that calls for is a ruthless self-examination of your life before you're ready to examine someone else. When you think about it, the best artist, the best musician, the best writer are their most critical critics. They're the, the strongest critics. They're ruthless with themselves, examining their own perfection before looking at someone else. 
They even go as far as to maybe introducing other people in their life to cross-examine them, to make sure to listen. Is the tool ready? Is the seal of approval there? And so we must prepare the instrument, understand the dangers so we can see clearly. See, one of the things about a surgeon, they have to be able to see or see clearly. Because how can they operate? How can they do very, very delicate procedures if they can't see clearly? So before we wade into a situation, we have to understand the context. Where is the wound? How did it happen? Why are they suffering in this way? How should we approach this situation? You know, it's very dangerous to approach someone who's hurting. Because sometimes they don't know why they're hurting and they just lash out at anyone who's causing more pain. It takes courage, like Gunta, to walk into the situation and to take the blows and to respond instead of reacting. So we must see clearly the situation or we will leave them behind. Matthew 18 gives us a beautiful picture of how we are to do this. Remember, it says if someone is caught in sin, you go to them privately and show them their fault with the goal toward them seeing and being uh, taking care of that situation and being restored. But if they don't yield, if you will, to that, uh, uh, for that instruction, you're supposed to bring two or three other people forward. You know, it's like a surgeon that can't quite figure this thing out, so he starts bringing in the other surgeons. You know, and pretty soon you've got a room full of surgeons. See, that's what it's saying. Two or three can't do this. Bring the elders of the church. Not with an idea to condemn, but rather with an idea of how do we work with this person, with the good and the bad, to challenge them in their life. See, we want to be about taking the foreign body out, but it's dangerous. We have to prepare ourselves. I don't know if anyone's heard of the concept of, of voir dire. Any lawyers? I wish we had a legal professor here somewhere. Voir dire, or voyeur dire, as it's called in the Southern, is the process of the selection of a jury. Before you have a case, you have to, before you have the trial, you have to impanel the jury. And so they have this process called voir dire, which literally means to tell the truth. Maybe you've been called for jury duty and sat in one of these where you have a bunch of different people and both of the attorneys are asking questions. And they're trying to figure out, is there any sort of bias here that would cause them not to look at this case impartially? And so between both sides, they're trying to get as neutral a jury or jury to them as possible. But because they sort of cancel each other out, now you have a jury that's able to examine this case much more objectively than this time before. See, we have to be a process of what here with ourselves, of telling the truth. Because the truth of the matter is often the things we see in other people are the things we hate in ourselves. And we're just moving them over to somebody else. See, we have to make, my friends, not only a decision to weigh in, but to prepare to weigh in. Do you see that this is a dangerous business? When we judge, as my children tell me, when we point the finger, I have three pointing back at me. So how do you go in when you're going to judge someone? Do you go in with the guns blazing? You know, shoot first, aim later, shoot from the hip? Or are you willing to prepare? You know, if you're not willing to prepare, you're not qualified to judge. 
You should take your time to make sure you're in the right place. And the first court that you and I need to go to is the Supreme Court of God to submit ourselves to His judgment and to be found innocent before we're ready to go and judge someone else. And then, only then can we judge them gently. Not with a hammer and a chisel, but a scalpel and with a clear eye. We can help get the splinter on and take the pain and judgment while doing so. Well, this brings me to my final point, which I call going before the Chief Justice. See, there's a weird uh, statement here at the very end, 7-6. It says, do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, what is he talking about here? He's not talking about pigs and dogs. And he's certainly not talking about the dogs that we have. He's talking about the scavenging dogs that would roam around the trash dump. And the pigs more there were more of the wild boar variety, where they could turn on you and actually do harm to you. See, so what he's talking about is people that don't know the gospel. People who don't hear the gospel, and as we come to them with the gospel of truth, the gospel that judges their hearts and tells them of the grace of Jesus Christ. And if they will not hear it, despite all of your pleadings, you are to walk away. Because they will not listen to what you're saying. It's like throwing your pearls to pigs. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You see, if we're to judge our neighbor, we're to entrust judgment of others who are not believers to God. But we're not able to play God either with them of convincing them to come, to come and be a part of the gospel. Rather, we proclaim and we leave the judgment of God. And we judge one another with the right judgment that God has given us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of trouble being a good judge. I have a lot of trouble taking criticism from other people. And as I hear these statements from Jesus, I wonder, how is it possible? How is it possible to live like this? It's too hard. I can't do it. I'm critical of other people. I'm critical. I'm critical when people do it to me. How do I have the ability and the courage, like Sergeant Gunta, to wade into someone's pain and bring them back to life? The answer is simply this, that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us the strength and courage and love to wade in. Because the truth of the matter is, we were the pigs. And we were the dogs, weren't we? They weren't interested in hearing the message. And yet Jesus waded into our lives. He cast the pearls before us, which was his very life. And he brought us from death to life. You see, he undergoed a trial, he, under, he underwent a trial as well, didn't he? A trial that was not a fair trial. It was a mockery of a trial. Of people whose intent was to hurt him not help him. And Jesus sat under the judge, Satan, and he died on the cross. You see, we can be a judge because he is the supreme judge. 
He didn't need to hear our case. He didn't need to grant certiorari to us. But he did. And we had the best attorney that anyone could ever have pleading before God the Father. Jesus gave us the best defense, the guarantee that the Son of God would stand in the place of man. Because of that, our crimes are paid for. Jesus judged us not because we had a beam in our eye. Rather, he was the one that took it out of our eye and was crucified. Jesus is Sergeant Gupta, the supreme general who wades into the danger of the enemy fire and stays by us and pulls us to safety. And so because of the supreme judge, Jesus Christ, we can judge rightly, not in arrogance, but in humility. And so before we judge others, we must go before the Supreme Court and the Chief Justice. We must see the mercy in which He has treated us, the way He didn't turn away from our sin but paid for it. We must look for His love and sterilize our hearts with His grace. Because it's only then when we have come to Him and we have softened in the light of His mercy that we're able to turn around to our fellow brother as God did to us and to take fire by coming alongside them and not giving up until they are led to safety, just like God did with us. You know, we need that in our lives, don't we? People who are waiting to our lives and stay alongside us. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Are you like that with anyone? God says, we must carry each other's burdens. For in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. So by His mercy, go and do my advice. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You that You heard our case, that we were guilty, there was no appeals process granted to us, that You were the one that not only heard our case, but paid the punishment. Your very Son being crucified the beam on his back to take the beam out of our eye. Lord, help us to look to you first when we want to wade into a situation before we come alongside our brother to remember how you have dealt with us gently and carefully and mercifully. And Lord, may this church be active in being willing to pull the splinter out of one another and take the pain and do it in love that we may be whole and healthy restored to life. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.